Our topic this week, out of the book of Genesis, chapter 26, Isaac and Abimelech. Now we looked at some of this Isaac and Abimelech in this chapter last week, uh, a couple weeks ago, and so we're going to continue with this theme. And so a quick review of where we were last week. Starting in verse 1, there was a famine in the land, and Isaac went to Avimelech, that's Abimelech, that's his Hebrew pronunciation. English would be Abimelech, Hebrew the Avimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. And Isaac stayed in Gerar, and when the men asked about his wife, he said, she is my sister. And when Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech looked from the window and saw Isaac caressing his wife. And Avimelech said, what have you done to us? And one of the men might have slept with your wife, you, and you would have brought guilt upon us. Avimelech gave orders that all the people, anyone who harms this man or his wife, shall surely be put to death. And again, we looked at that more in depth last week and the, and the verses in between it. But our focus here tonight, looking at this, Isaac stayed in Ger, right? Under king of Ger, Avimelech. And uh, it seems like Avimelech was pretty good to Isaac here. Right? There's a famine in land. Isaac goes to this land of the Philistines and they let him stay there. That's pretty nice. He's lived there and he lived there a long time. He had been there a long time, the Bible says. It doesn't say how long, but it says a long time. And that's pretty nice. And then uh, while he's there, Isaac lies to them. Uh, could possibly bring guilt upon them. Could possibly set up a situation where wrong is done because of misunderstanding regarding of who his wife actually is. And then instead of really getting mad at him and, and, and kicking him away, Avimelech gives orders that everyone should leave Isaac and his wife alone. Right? And so he decrees a protection over them. Did Isaac deserve that? No, did he deserve any of this? Did he deserve to be able to stay there? Did he deserve uh, the kindness of the people? No. So they've been very, very nice to him. Right? And then Isaac planted crops in that land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. And he had so many flocks and herds that the servants of the Philistines envied him. And so Avimelech said to Isaac, move away from us. You have become too powerful for us. So Isaac had no doubt wealth that he inherited from his father Abraham. Uh, but here, while he's there, he gets even greater wealth. Reaps a hundredfold. That's pretty good. Right? And, uh, and where is he making all this hundredfold? In Geir, right? In the land of the Philistines, right? And so again, he's, unless he's paying a lot of taxes and, you know, paying it back that way, uh, he is profiting from them being there. And he gains so much that the people get jealous. And so Avimelech sends him away. Uh, just to kind of keep the peace uh, so that uh, no one tries to rob him, no one tries to harm him, and, uh, and he's fearful, he's becoming so powerful, uh, he's uh, gaining too much here, and so sends him away. Verse 17, so Isaac moved away, and from there he encamped in the valley of Geir, 
where he settled, and Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died, and he gave them the same names his father had given them. So he moves from Geir, and where does he go? The Valley of Geir. <laughs> Man, it can't be that too far away, right? I mean, it's still under the same name, right? And so he moves not far away. And so if uh, Avimelech is the king over Geir, well, who do you think is probably ruling over the Valley of Geir, right? If not also still under the, the, uh, the ownership of, of Avimelech, you know, possibly. I mean, obviously the Philistines are still roaming in this area. They went and they filled in Abraham's wells after he died, and so his people are at least there. And so that's where Isaac goes. Isaac goes to this valley uh, right there near Geir. Verse 19, Isaac's servants dug, a well, uh, dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there, but the herders of Geir quarreled with those of Isaac's and said, the water is ours. And they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one. And he moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it. Right? And so he's digging wells. Where? In the valley of Gear, right? So he's digging in their valley, right? And so they're saying that's our water. And so maybe, you know, they had land rights, right? You know, I mean, uh, so possibly technically they were, they, they were right, but, uh, but who did the digging? Isaac and his servants, right? So in that sense, uh, Isaac had a right to it. And Abraham, when he dug those wells, he dug the wells, right? And so you can understand the contention there. And so Isaac moves on, digs another one. They contend over that, he moves another one. And then there's no contention. He goes far enough away or in an area where no one cared about, maybe, or for whatever reason, and they, they don't quarrel over that one. And uh, again, as we saw last week, that's not a bad idea. You gotta know, you gotta have spiritual discernment on what hills to die on and what hills just to move away from. Okay? And so these are ones he decided is not worth fighting over. Uh, they, they, he became so powerful and so rich, they, they sent him out of the downtown area, or out of the area there, close to, to the city, where, uh, where they thought he became a threat, he was so powerful. And so he willingly moved away. And so he could have gone to battle with these guys. He chose not to. He chose to move on. They said, don't, he said, don't kill him, right? But uh, so they took the wells, and so there was a little bit of quarreling going on. Uh, but who's doing the quarreling? The people of the Philistines, right? Yeah. So they're the ones quarreling. So we don't even know if Abimelech really even knows about this. It's kind of, Isaac doesn't go and tell him, doesn't say that. And, uh, and so he moves and he finds a place. And so we need wisdom because sometimes people are not nice to us, right? You ever experienced that? Anyone here ever experienced people not being nice to them, right? That's life here on this earth, right? We're not in heaven yet. If you haven't figured that out yet, we're not there yet. This is not heaven. Don't get too comfortable here, because in this earth, right, in this world, as Yeshua said, you will have trouble. So that's a Bible promise, right? That's a promise of the Lord. In this life, you will have troubles, right? And that goes with the package. And uh, again, don't get too comfortable here. We're just passing through here anyway. Right? So just passing through. Keep our eyes focused on the Lord. Look to him and, uh, and keep our focus there. And so in this life, we'll have troubles. And some are worth contending over. 
Some are worth taking a stand over. Some are worth holding our ground and presenting our case. And some are worth just moving on. We need that balance to know when, right? We don't want to get walked all over all the time. That's not godly. That's not being a godly person just to let everybody walk all over us all the time, right? That's not true forgiveness. That's not biblical forgiveness, right? Biblical forgiveness says, no, I'm not going to let you do that anymore to me. I forgive you for what you did, but that's unacceptable. Right? That's why we're forgiving them. You don't forgive good people. You don't forgive people for doing good stuff. Right? You only forgive someone who did something wrong. Right? So by forgiving, we're saying you did wrong, thus I don't want you to do it again, and you shouldn't do it to anyone else ever again. Right? And we may have to hold them accountable. We may have to exact payment for, for the damage they did, or if they're continuing threat, they may have to be put in jail or whatever the case. So true biblical forgiveness doesn't let us just be walked all over. But there are times where we just choose not to fight certain battles. Right? And so here he chose, in this instance, to just move on, dig another well. Sometimes we just need to dig another well. And some people leave services, don't come to services because somebody there offended them, someone there hurt their feelings, someone there... And they leave God. They turn their back on God because some person did them wrong. Well, got news for you. People did God wrong as well. <laughs> he had plenty wrong done to him. We killed him. That's how wrong we did to him. And so, uh, and he hasn't forsaken us. And so, uh, we can't... Uh, let what people do be a reflection on God. And we'll see that here in this instance as well. And so from there, verse 23, Isaac went up to Beersheba, and Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord, and there he pitched his tent. And that's where we left off last week. This is the first instance where we have where Isaac is calling on the name of the Lord. So this might be when he personally has his own personal experience with God. Up to this point, he might have just been riding on the coattails of his father, you know, just following the God of his father. And God refers to himself, I am the God of your father, Abraham. And so that's how it might have been for Isaac. And some people just grow up with godly principles, with morals, because it's been taught to them by their parents. But don't take it to heart. And each one of us personally needs to make a decision to follow the Lord. None of us can be saved because of anyone else. None of us can be saved because of our grandparents, our parents, or anyone else. Right? Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden and they were children of God. Right? Cain will be lost and he was child of Abraham, Adam and Eve. And so the connection, Judas will be lost, and he was one of the disciples. Right? So it's not where we belong, it's not where our membership is, it's not who we're connected to, it's not whose children we are that saves us. It's the choices we individually, personally make. And so here we see Isaac making this decision to build an altar to the Lord. Prior to that, he lied to the Philistines, Abimelech called him out, he didn't apologize, he didn't repent, he didn't acknowledge it was wrong. He kind of blames it on them. I was fearful of you guys. I didn't trust you guys. You guys are mean or 
dangerous people, I heard. Anyway, so I don't, I, I, I was fearful. I was fearful of you. I thought you were going to harm me. I thought your people were going to harm me. So I lied. But then God was good to him anyway. And then he goes, and out of the goodness of the Lord, and not that he deserved it, he didn't deserve it in any way, shape, or form. God blessed him anyway, and it moved his heart to build an altar and offer a sacrifice to the Lord and call on the name of the Lord. And that's where we pick up this week. Verse 26, Avimelech came to him from Geir with this guy, his personal advisor, and Pichol, the commander of his forces. And Isaac asked them, why have you come to me since you were hostile to me and sent me away? Now, this commander of his forces is the same name of the commander of the forces back when Abraham lied to Avimelech, and Avimelech took Abraham's wife, Sarah, to be wife because he thought he was his sister. That's what he said. She's my sister. And he took her to wife. And this guy, and so there's a good indication that this Avimelech is the same one from Abraham's day. Abraham lived 175 years, so if this guy lives about that long and he was younger than Abraham when they met, then he certainly could be the same one here in Isaac's time. And Isaac here is uh, something like 60 or so years old, somewhere between 60 and 80, when this is taking place. And so with the same commander, very well could be the same king. Some people think, well, Abimelech might just be a title, like Pharaoh or like Caesar or like president. Uh, but here, since it's got the same commander with the same name, uh, very well could be the same man. I think it is. So when he comes to Isaac... How does Isaac treat him? Yeah, bad. He says, why have you come to me since you were hostile to me and sent me away? Now, we, we just read the text. Did it look like Abimelech was hostile to him? No, he let him stay in the land, let him stay in the land a long time, let him plant crops in the land, let him get a hundredfold, didn't go and steal all those crops from him, and then gave a command and no one kills him or his wife. Gave protection over him. And then Avimelech comes and seeks him out. Now we saw from past sermons when Avimelech was with Abraham. What does Avimelech mean? Anyone know or anyone remember? Avi, what does Avi mean? My father is king. My father is king. Right? And so while Avimelech was a literal person, he foreshadowed the one whose father is king in some ways. Just like Moses foreshadowed, just like David foreshadowed in some ways the Messiah to come. Avimelech, whose father is king, foreshadowed the Messiah to come. And here we see Avimelech coming and seeking Isaac out. When Adam and Eve sinned, who sought who? The Lord came looking for them. We were hiding, Adam and Eve, our parents were hiding in the bushes, covering themselves, running away from God. 
And God came looking for them. And that was Yeshua, walking in the garden, seeking them out. Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? And he knew where they were. He could have gone and knocked the bush over. He could have knocked the tree over. <laughs> Come out of there, you guys. <laughs> no, he's calling them, entreating them, inviting them. As Yeshua said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men onto me. The Holy Spirit is drawing each one of us. Now he gives us freedom to resist if we want. The Bible tells us the majority will resist that drawing. But if we don't resist, he's drawing all of us. And if we don't resist, all of us can be drawn to him. Drawn by his love, drawn by his goodness. And how does he draw us? Well, we saw with Isaac, he blessed him. Isaac didn't deserve it. He blessed him a hundredfold. Blessed him with protection. Blessed him with a place when there was a famine. Blessed him in many ways. Blessed him with a wonderful wife and children. He blessed him in many ways. Didn't deserve any of it. And so God draws us with blessings. And sometimes he gets our attention or tries to get our attention with warnings, with calamities, with difficulties, not necessarily that he sends them, but when we're running away and out of his protection, things happen. And then God comes to us and invites us to come back to him. He comes to us, invites us, and draws us by using people to talk to us about God's love. By impressing our hearts and minds by blessing us with beautiful flowers and foods and tastes and taste buds. I mean, look at what we have as humans. It's absolutely amazing how many colors. Right? God didn't have to color the food. Right? He does that for us. He didn't have to do with different tastes. Right? We can be like dogs and eat the same thing every day for the rest of our lives and be happy, you know? <laughs> but no, he gives all these different flavors and different smells, flowers that are fragrant, orange blossoms. Different tastes, some juicy, some firm, different types of tastes, all for our benefit. He draws us by being good to us. Sunshine, the rain, the beauty that surrounds us. He uses people. He uses his word. He impresses our hearts and our minds, brings conviction. Guilt. Guilt is a gift from God. Gives us a feeling this was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. That's God's love drawing us so that he can give us forgiveness. That he can wash that off our records. That we can come to the Messiah and receive his forgiveness because of his death that paid the price. While we were yet sinners, the Messiah died for us. While we were enemies of God, the Messiah gave his life for us. Before we were born, before we did our first sin, he already provided the, the provision for us to be forgiven. Oh, what a loving God who's pre-forgiven us, knowing what we'd be like, knowing what we would do, forgave us anyway. Who left heaven, who left the angels that loved him, who, loved, who left the, the throne of the Father, who loved him that he knew for eternity. 
the praise and the worship and the peace and the happiness. And he left all of that. He left the Father's side to come to be with angels who hated his guts. Angels that wanted to kill him. He came to Satan's turf so that at birth Satan would try and kill him. He came to enemy territory to rescue you and me at the risk of his life. That cost him his life. That cost him for eternity. He'll never be the same as he was before after taking on flesh. In addition to the 30-something years that he was here, mistreated, misunderstood by his siblings, misunderstood by his even his disciples, those that he blessed, healed, 10 lepers, only one comes back and thanks him. Multiplies food, loaves and fishes, and they come just for more loaves and fishes, not to hear the word of God. Then the ones that he created take him and beat him, whip him, spit on him, curse him, deny him, turn from him, and kill him. Even one of his disciples betrays him with a kiss. He experienced all that and so much more. More we could never understand. Took our guilt, all of our guilt, all of humanity's guilt. It's depressing enough just to think of our own. Let alone to bear the guilt of every single human from Adam and Eve down to the end. And carry it all upon himself. And to be cut off from the Father and go into the tomb, willing to never come out. If that's what it would take for you and me to be there. He's pre-loved us, and he draws us with that love. And he invites us to let go of the sins, because he already paid the price for it. So that he can cleanse us, wash away the penalty, of eternal death and wipe away its power over us. Set us free from the habits, set us free from the passions and the burdens and the addictions and the attachments, the codependencies and the bitterness and the wrath and the worries and the fears and set us free. Sets us free. Draws us by giving us power and victory over sins. Draws us to do it more and gain more victory. Draws us to see him at work more and more in our lives. Removes the gloom and gives us happiness and cheer in the face of problems. Strength and courage in the face of threats. Be able to stand firm for the Lord. That's the power of God. And yet at the same time he's doing all of those things, 
some of us like Isaac, blame him for everything. You've been hostile to me. You haven't been good enough to me. And we blame God. Our insurance companies call hurricanes acts of God. Sorry, you weren't covered on that. It was an act of God. How dare they? How dare they blame God? It's blasphemy. People who don't believe in God stub their toe or something bad happens to them. They, they name him all day long. There's some people every other sentence. They're calling his name. Not in praise, not in thanks, not in adoration, but in blame. You were hostile to me. Why'd you let this happen to me and this happen to me and this and poor me, poor me, poor me? And we forget all the blessings that he's been to us. All the ways that he has shown us love. In spite of the difficulties of this earth. And he's not at fault for the problems we experience. You and I experience problems because of other people. Like the people who filled the wells. That wasn't Avimelech's fault. He made a decree, don't bother him. They did it on their own. So you and I experience things because God has given free choice to humans. And some of those come from people who profess to believe in him. Servants of Avimelech. That shouldn't be a reflection on God. That's a reflection on them. And so yes, in this life, troubles come, we experience troubles. But that's not God's fault. And then another reason we experience problems, because of our own fault, because of our own stupidity, because of our own lies, because of our own fears, because of our own worries, because of our own greed, because of our own selfishness. And again, that's not God's fault. God hasn't done anything wrong. But sometimes we feel that way. Even Martha and Mary. Yeshua comes for Lazarus. If you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. It's your fault he died. We sent the message to you four days ago, or over four days ago, and you didn't come fast enough. And he's dead because you didn't come fast enough. Yeshua knew what he was doing, but they blamed him. And it's so easy for us when we don't understand, we don't see, we can't see tomorrow, we don't know how it's going to work out, we don't know how God's going to work this situation, Sometimes horrible situations, but the Bible says that he will work all things together for good to those who love him, those called according to his purpose. Doesn't mean he brought the bad things, 
And the devil does a lot of this stuff, and humans do a lot of this stuff, and we do a lot of this stuff to ourselves. But if we surrender it to the Lord, he will work all things together for good. He'll turn it out for good. We just need to wait upon him, trust in him, look to him, and let him work it out. And some things we'll see here on this earth, and some things we won't see till heaven. Sometimes, you know, we've experienced something, and we see later on, wow, it's a good thing I didn't marry that person. It's a good thing I didn't get that job. It's a good thing I didn't get that car. It's a good thing I didn't get that house. Sometimes we don't see it here on this earth, but sometimes we do. But I think most things we'll see in heaven, and God will reveal it to us. And then after he shows us how all of those things work to get us to heaven, We'll say, if I had it to do all over again, I wouldn't change a thing. That horrible thing, that horrible catastrophe, that horrible problem, worked together that this person could be in heaven, that worked so that I could be in heaven, worked to keep them from getting losing their salvation. I can see now, God, why you did all those things, why you allowed those things. This is what it means to have faith. This is what it means to trust in him. Not seeing how it's all going to work out. But we, like Isaac, sometimes blame him and are unthankful for the blessings that he has bestowed upon us. Verse 28, they answered, We saw clearly that the Lord was with you, so we said there ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between us and you. Let us make a treaty with you that you will do us no harm just as we did you no harm, but always treated you well and sent you away peaceably. And now you are blessed by the Lord. Right? Is that true? From what we read? Did him no harm? Treated him well and sent him away peacefully. I think that's a pretty accurate description. And he's been blessed by the Lord. And so Avimelech comes to him and invites him and says, there ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between us and you. So he's putting himself first. I'm willing to make agreement to you. I've come to you. I'm making a covenant with you. I'm making a peace agreement with you. Avimelech's king. Isaac's just a wandering nomad. And yet he's coming and saying, I'm willing to make a peace agreement with you. Yeshua, King of the universe, King of kings, Lord of lords, came here in human flesh, came to us and says, I've come for you. I've come and I want to make a covenant with you. I will be your God. And you will be my people. I will be your savior. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will love you with an everlasting love. And no good thing will I withhold from them that walk uprightly. Abimelech comes to him, says, let's make a treaty together. You're blessed by the Lord. Isaac made a feast for them. And they ate and drank. And early the next morning, the men swore an oath to each other. 
And then Isaac sent them on their way, and they went away peaceably. Let us make a covenant. The Lord has made a covenant with us. Let us accept his covenant. Let us enter into that covenant with him. Let us surrender our lives to him. And by his grace and by his power, do him no harm. This is what it means to fear the Lord. Not fear of being terrified of him. Fear of hurting him. Fear of taking on his name and then misrepresenting him to the world. Fear of disappointing him. Fear of letting him down. Fear of there not being people in heaven because of us. Fear of him having less children in heaven because we haven't done what he's called us to do in sharing and warning this world. That's what it means to fear him. And so let us enter in and join together and then be at peace. Romans 12, 17, repay no one evil for evil, have regard for good things in the sight of all men, and if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Enter into a peace agreement with the Lord. Again, by his power, by his grace, in ourselves we can do nothing. Not a I will, I promise. Right? That's what we did at the Mount of Battle of Mount Sinai. That's what Peter said. Even if all forsake you, I will not. The I will and I will not don't last very long at all. Don't make any promise on your own strength, by your own grace, by your own power, but by his grace, by his power. Enter into a covenant with him. And that's his covenant. His covenant is, I will write my laws into your heart and into your mind, and I will cause you to walk therein. Our job is not to promise to do him. Our job is to let go, surrender, and allow him to work in us and through us. Our job is to accept our death in him, death to self, and allow the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us. And be at peace with him, and be at peace as much as possible within us. As Isaac was with those guys, moving on when he needed to. And don't blame God when others misrepresent him. Verse, back to Genesis 26, verse 32. That day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug. And they said, we found water. And he called it Sheba, meaning oath. And to this day, the name of that town has been Beersheba, the well of the oath, where they made an oath. And God blessed. God blessed their efforts. Avimelech came to him. God's coming to us. Yeshua is here with us. Emmanuel, God with us. What a wonderful God we have that loves us, that seeks us out that comes to us. And we can love him because he first loved us and is seeking us out. And so, if there's been some area in your life 
where you've been blaming God for something. Maybe you're serving him in a lot of areas, but maybe there's one area that you're still disappointed in him. God, why haven't you given me this? Why did you allow that? Why did you allow that death? Why did you allow that loss? Why did you allow me to get fired? Why did you allow? Might be far back, but you've never gotten over it. Maybe you don't think about it all the time, but maybe once in a while, God brings it to your mind. To some area, you're disappointed in God, and you feel like he's let you down. You feel like he's mistreated you. You feel like he wasn't there for you. And he didn't answer your prayer. In a moment we pray, I invite you to surrender it to him. And trust that he loves you in all things. And if he withheld something from you, it's because it wasn't good for you. He allowed something to be taken from you. And he had a reason and a plan. You don't necessarily know what it is now. But in the scheme of eternity, he's working it out together for good in some way, shape, or form. And so if there's some area that you've had doubt about God's love and kindness and goodness to you, I invite you to surrender that to him and choose to trust him. And even in that, we can ask God, give me faith. Give me faith to believe. Give me faith to trust. Give me trust. Secondly, you sense God drawing you. You sense him calling you. He's coming to you personally, convicting you of some sin in your life, some area in your life where you've been wrong. Some area in your life where you've lied. Some area in your life where you've filled in someone's well. Some area where you've quarreled with someone and argued with someone unjustly. Some area in your life where you have not been right. Some area where you haven't been at peace with others as much as impossible with you. Someone in your life who you wouldn't be willing to go and sit with. Yeshua sat right next to Judas at the Passover. Dipped bread with him at the Passover. Knowing what Judas had already done. Knowing what Judas was getting ready to do. Washed his feet. Is there someone in your life you wouldn't be willing to wash their feet, sit next to, even talk to, someone you're avoiding, someone you'd leave the room if they were there. As much as possible within you, be at peace with all people. So if that applies to you, in a moment when we pray, you can confess that, let go of it, Receive God's forgiveness because Yeshua has already paid the price for it. Have him deliver you from that. And ask him to give you love for that person. They may not deserve it. You don't deserve it either. I don't deserve it either. He'll give you love for that person. And if it was an abusive situation, that doesn't mean you go and hug him again. But we can let go of the hostility and the anger and the bitterness and the wrath towards them.
you haven't surrendered your life to the Lord and made a covenant with him and accepted his covenant with you. Really, the order should be first accepting his covenant with you and then making a covenant of surrender with him, to him. If you haven't done that yet, I invite you to do that tonight as he's drawing you, as he's come to you, as he's drawn you here. Surrender all to him and accept his love. Fourth, if God's been good to you and blessed you, blessed you in abundance, and if you're here tonight, then you've been blessed. Not necessarily because you're here, but because you're alive. <laughs> and you're able to come. And thank him. Obviously, you've had food to eat over the last week or so. No one here looks like they're starving. Everyone's had oxygen. Everyone's had water. Everyone has clothes on. We've been blessed. And so if you haven't thanked him in a while, you haven't thanked him today, the moment when we pray, give thanks to the Lord because he has been good to each one of us. He has blessed us with abundance. And if there's someone you need to confess to or apologize to, in a moment we pray, ask God to give you the strength and the grace to be able to do that. If there's someone who's hurt you and wronged you, and God's calling you to go to them and tell them you forgive them. Tell them to pay up for what they did wrong or whatever. And may God give you the strength and the grace to do so. So if any of those areas apply to you, or maybe something else through the story tonight God's impressed your heart and mind about, let's pray and let God do his amazing, glorious work in our lives. Let us pray. Our Lord, our God, our King, our Ruler, our Savior, thank you for loving us. Thank you for being everything for us. Our friend, our spouse, you're our all in all. Thank you for loving us with an everlasting love. Thank you for first seeking us out. Thank you for creating us. And from the foundation of the world, paying the price for us. Thank you for drawing us. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for giving us these examples. Thank you for giving us abundance, more than we could ever ask or think. Thank you for giving us everlasting life. Thank you for preparing mansions for us. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Yeshua, for giving your life. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your sacrifice in our behalf. Thank you for taking our sins, bearing them upon yourself, and removing them from us, and burying them in the tomb, and killing them and crucifying them once and for all. Thank you for delivering us. Thank you for the new heart, the new mind. Thank you for writing your laws into us. Thank you for covenanting with us. Thank you for your promises. And thank you for your spirit, giving us victory in new minds and new hearts. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.